Thanks, Lisa. Uh, I just want to say real quick, thanks so much to the band. You guys do a great job. These guys show up really early. And uh, yeah, let's thank them for their time. And Brian, I just have to put it out there. I don't know if everybody knows, but Brian's from Mississippi. And I, you know, I appreciate it when somebody calls me brother. It just makes me feel right at home. And, uh, you know, I was watching uh, this as I knocked my sheets off. There goes the sermon. I was watching this special on the Peyton Manning family, Peyton Manning and Eli Manning and their brother on ESPN, and uh, they used a phrase that I, that I felt like I could just hear Brian say. It was a great Southern phrase. They described Archie Manning, the dad, as being so fast that the devil could chase him through hell and he wouldn't even get a sunburn. <laughs> Brian's got all kinds of great one-liners like that. Now that I've got my sermon again. Um, I appreciate those lines. Let me organize myself, and while I'm doing that, um, I just want to say, so you guys all know how the first few weeks of the school year are just kind of crazy, and I don't know if you're like me in this way, but I just always look forward to the point when things become normal. When I was a student, um, as an undergrad, and as a grad student, it always kind of, those first few weeks just drove me nuts, having so many times to explain what I did over the summer, and uh, just meeting new people. I really enjoy meeting new people, but I also love the point where it's like, oh yeah, I know that person, and I know their story, and so I can just be like, what's up, man? And that's, that's good. Um, so I feel, I feel like we're kind of at that point in the semester where we're getting in a groove, and things are all new. And that's really nice, because um, it seems like people are tuckered out a little bit already. And uh, I hope that tonight can be just a time where we rest a little bit. I want to tell you all a story about uh, as I was getting ready to start the school year, so all these little administrative details need to be taken care of, and so I went to get my parking pass down on campus, and this is before they put in the meters. So I parked on Indiana Ave over by Penn Station uh, subs. You guys know where I'm at, up a little bit from Qdoba and Starbucks. And so I parallel parked, and so I'm getting out of my car, and the spot behind me, actually it's the spot in front of me, is open. And this kid comes rolling in in his white car, and uh, you know, God is good, and I drive a Ford Escort, 2001. So that's really saying something that I say God is good, and I drive a 2001 Ford Escort. Um, that's not that nice of a car, guys. <laughs> and so what I'm trying to say is that my trigger isn't in my car, but I do try and take care of it. And so this guy pulls right in front of me uh, to parallel park in the spot right in front of me. And I'm standing there getting out of my car. And he backs in, pulls forward, and then just backs straight into my car as I'm standing right there. It was like so loud. It was like boom. And I'm standing there and I look at him. I'm just like. And, and he looks at me and he's like. And so that look really took me off. And what took me off even more is he goes, the first thing he said when he saw me look at him like surprised, he goes, bro, hold on. And I like it when Brian calls me brother, but I don't like it when people call me bro if they're not my bro. Um, and so he's like, bro, hold on. And like, so I gave him like a few seconds, but he just looked like he was kind of like frustrated that he hit my car and I actually cared. And I was like, hold on, dude, you just hit my car. And he's like, bro, chill, man. And I was just like, I'm pretty chill guy, but I was not pleased because he didn't even seem like he cared at all. And so, 
And so like I go behind my car and I look at I look at my front bumper and you know it's fine. But uh, and he's like, I'm like, dude, like at least say you're sorry. And he's like, dude, I said hold on, bro. And I was like, that is the worst apology I've ever heard. And so, you know, this guy's like an undergrad, and you know, I'm a college pastor, so I probably shouldn't punch him in the face. I'm supposed to like not do that, but I really wanted to. And so, like, I know myself better now. Three years ago, I probably would have, not three years ago, I'm older than that. Six years ago, it would have been a bad situation. And so, like, as soon as he called me bro again, I just left. I started walking away. Um, you know, maybe six years ago, I probably would have gotten in my car and been like, all right, bro. And just like slammed a little bit into the back bumper and said, hold on, what's the big deal? Um, but you know, in all honesty, I walked away from that situation and I was like, you know what, like, I probably did the right thing and I didn't like curse him out or punch him in the face or anything like that, but man, I sure wanted to. Um, and you know, in part, that's because um, I feel like that situation just violated the sense of fairness that I kind of hold to. Um, there's a part of me that just really likes it when people play by the rules, you know? If I would have done that to somebody else, I would have been a jerk and acted like it wasn't a big deal. I would have been like, man, I am really sorry. Like, I just slammed into your car. I'm a terrible parallel parker. And I expect people to admit it when they do wrong. And this guy wouldn't even come close to acknowledging that he made a mistake. And so this just like sense of fairness, this desire for fairness was not present at all. And it just kind of left me with a pit in my stomach. I don't know if you guys have ever felt that way, where something should have been done that just wasn't done. Or maybe something happened where you're like, you know, that guy didn't deserve that kind of grace. Like, bro. Um, <laughs> you know, this story that Issa just read for us, uh, I'll kind of read us through it again, just because that mic was acting funky. But, uh, it leaves me with a similar feeling in my stomach. It's a passage where, I don't know if you've really reflected on it a lot, but in preparing for the message this week, I spent a lot of time thinking about this passage, and when I really considered it, I can't help but have this feeling in my stomach where like, God, really? This guy? He's kind of a bro. Um, so let's work through this story. And so this is Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And so we pick up here, verse uh, 1, in chapter 5 of John, if you guys have your Bibles and you want to follow along. So sometime later, Jesus went up to, to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five, five colored colonnades. So kind of like big pillars with covers over them. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. Uh, so this pool is located in the northern part of Jerusalem, near the market where sheep were actually sold. Uh, this is right beside the temple where sheep were sold for sacrifice. And so a bunch of uh, lame, blind, paralyzed people would come here because they believed the pool had healing powers. Um, and so Jesus comes to this pool, and as we read in verse 5, one was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. That is a long time. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in the this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So the scripture really doesn't tell us why Jesus picked this one man out of many. You know, that's a question that 
Uh, sometimes we ask ourselves nowadays, like, why would God choose to heal this person and not this person? And evidently when Jesus was walking on this earth in the flesh, there were people with real needs that he would have walked by and chose not to help them. Uh, but for some reason, the text doesn't tell us why, but Jesus chose this man. Maybe, he'd been, maybe he chose him because he'd been sick for a particularly long time. Um, but Jesus asks him, do you want to get well? You know, when I hear that, I think, wow, Jesus, that's really insensitive. Uh, you know, that sounds kind of like a rude thing for us to say this day and age, to ask a man who's paralyzed if he wants to get well. Um, but actually, when we think a little bit more about the context of this passage, Jesus had, Jesus had good reason to ask this question. Um, after being ill for 38 years, this guy's life was largely built around um, his need. And as uh, a commentator I read in preparing for this said really well, an Eastern beggar often loses a good living by being cured. So there was a sense where if this guy was to be healed, his whole way of life would change. No longer would he have other people providing for all of his needs. He would, it would just be a totally paradigm, totally a, a change uh, of his life situation, a paradigm shifter for him was what I was trying to say. And so, you know, Jesus wanted to know, do you really, do you really want to be healed? And all that that entails. And honestly, this guy's response is less than dramatic. Uh, it was kind of a lame response. So let me give you a little bit more context on this pool. If any of you are reading the NIV, you're actually going to see that it goes from verse 3 to verse 5. That's because verse 4 has been eliminated from the most recent texts. Because um, biblical interpreters actually believe that verse 4 was a note put in later onto manuscripts as people in the manuscripts tried to make sense of why the waters were being troubled according to the popular thought of the day. Um, and so the popular thought of the day was that angels came down and troubled these waters, and that's why they, they bubbled up and stirred around. But some really well-respected scholars um, nowadays, including J.I. Packer, his theory is that it was actually probably more of a natural uh, spa, like a natural spring that fed this pool and caused it to bubble up temporarily. Um, so the water was likely warm with spa-like healing properties. Um, hot springs. And so this man didn't really express, uh, he didn't express any kind of desire for Jesus to help him in any other way than he thought made sense. He was like, yeah, get me in that hot tub and I'll be better. Because they believed that only the first person who got in the water would receive that special healing as a result of what the angels had done in there. And so if he wasn't the first man in the water, he's missing out completely. And so, do you want to get well? Yeah, get me in the water and then I'll be better. Um, you know, this guy didn't express a hint of faith that Jesus could actually do anything to help him other than do what he actually thought he could. Uh, this guy has no awareness that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, or that he could perform any kind of miraculous healing. He's like, yep, get me to that water. And so, let's continue in this passage and see how Jesus responds to him. So, we're in verse 8 now. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. You know, part of me thinks, Really? Like, that drastic of a healing for such a small expression of faith? Evidently the man's feeble faith was enough for Jesus to heal him. Uh, sometimes Jesus heals people in response to faith. Uh, as in the story of Bartimaeus, I don't know if any of you remember this story, um, but here's the story of Bartimaeus. 
As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man named Bartimaeus was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And so they called the blind man. Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you, they said. And throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Uh, so that is a story that shows the exact opposite. Jesus says to him, go, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. But that is not the case in this story that we've read tonight at all. This man uh, had no faith. And so while Jesus does often perform miracles in response to faith, evidently that isn't a rule. Uh, Jesus isn't bound by our faith in order to perform miracles. He worked healing in this man's life in response to a very small expression of need. Um, and he didn't just meet this man's request and say, like, okay, here we go, let's wait till it bubbles up and then I'm going to grab you and we're going to make a break for it. Um, don't drink any water, show you extra light, you know? He didn't meet this guy's needs uh, in the way he expected. He went way above and beyond that miraculous and complete physical healing. And so the man listened to Jesus, picks up his mat, and he walks. Let's see how this, how this works out for him. So we're in verse 9 now. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. And so if you were one of the original leaders of this and you really knew Judaism, you would right now be going, bah, bah, bah. <laughs> On the Sabbath? Oh, no! This guy's carrying his mat. Uh, so this is bad news in the Jewish culture. As we read uh, some of the Old Testament law, this is in Exodus, Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and kept it holy, and the Sabbath day and made it holy. Excuse me. Uh, and so the Pharisees didn't just take that as the end. In applying this law, this is crazy, they established 39 different categories of work that they banned on the Sabbath. And so one of those 39 categories was carrying anything except in cases of compassion. So like if you see some kid who like falls and skins his knee on the side of the road, you can carry him. But other than that, you're out of luck. And they would actually stone people who would break this law. Uh, this is serious. And so when this guy turns the corner, I'm taking a little bit of a liberty here with the text, but I'm just imagining this. So like Jesus heals this guy and says, pick up your mat and walk. And so he swings out behind one of those five colonnades, turns the corner, and there the Pharisees walking. He's holding his mat and he's like, oh snap. Because they're like, what are you doing carrying your mat on the Sabbath? And so this is really bad news for this guy. Let's see how he reacts when he's under the heat. Um, verse 11. So the man replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. Uh, so Jesus heals this guy who's been paralyzed for 38 years, and he sells him out without a second thought instantly. Um, 
So fury and repercussions, the man totally deflects responsibility onto Jesus without a second thought. He did it. Uh, so the Pharisees must have known this guy's case. I mean, if it's right beside the temple and he's been sick for 38 years, um, this is a really prominent place where a lot of people were. And so they didn't even ask this guy anything about his illness, which reflects to me that they probably knew who he was. Um, and they didn't even ask him, like, wait, somebody just completely healed you? They don't even care. They just totally gloss over the fact that he told him, the man who healed me told me to. They were only angry about this man's violation. That was the only thing on their mind, and they wanted to get to the bottom of it. Uh, so here we go, picking up again in verse 12. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. So who is this fellow? Uh, that's not a term that reflects very much respect. He's just a fellow. Nobody's special. The guy, uh, in his answer to this question, he didn't know and he couldn't rat him out. So as the text it says, I mean the text says, Jesus had slipped away. So that was kind of shifty of Jesus to get out of there. Sneaky, sneaky. Uh, so here we go, picking up again in verse 14. So it says later, we don't know how much later, maybe this is later in the day, maybe it's later in the week. The text doesn't really specify um, how much later, but evidently Jesus wasn't done with this guy. He had more for him. Uh, so verse 14, later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Ouch. That's insensitive statement number two in this passage, if I'm keeping track according to my judgment. Um, is he implying that this man's sin had something to do with his illness? It seems to be so when we read that statement. See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. It seems to me that Jesus is implying this man's had some, his sickness had something to do with his illness. Um, so again, this certainly isn't a rule. Um, is sickness a result of sin in all cases? Certainly not. If anything, the opposite is almost a rule. Um, so this is John chapter 9. This is when we're looking at another story of Jesus healing a blind man. So this is 9 verses 1 through 5. So as he went along, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then Jesus healed him. Uh, so, in this case, it's pretty clear. Jesus does imply that there was a correlation between this man's illness and his sin. Uh, but that certainly isn't the case in all of Scripture, so we, we sure don't want to make a rule out of that. Uh, in thinking about this phrase, you know, something I kind of enjoy is looking at church signboards. And you don't see a lot of this in Bloomington, but um, in some of the places I've lived, church signboards, they can sometimes say really funny things. Um, one of them I saw was, God answers knee mail. Ha, ha, ha. So if you pray, God answers. What a pun. Ha, um, here's another one. Need a new life? God accepts trade-ins. Here's, here's the best. Maybe this can also function as a Christian pickup line. When God saw you, it was love at first sight. Ha, ha, ha. Um, so how's this for a church signboard phrase? Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. 
that is not something you want to put on your signboard if you want people to show up at your church. Um, you know, I think there are a lot better choices. I don't think I mentioned any of those choices tonight, but certainly there are better choices than that phrase. But this is this is a huge phrase, and so let's continue on and. Uh, and we'll get back to that later, but we need to finish this passage. So, verse 15, the man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So, he did, he did get a chance to sell him out. So, as soon as Jesus gives him this last little word of encouragement, of wisdom, of rebuke, uh, the man's like, okay, now I know who it was. And then he runs back to the temple and tells him, yeah, it was Jesus who, who made me well. First chance he got what an expression of ingratitude. Um, you know, I would be like, yeah, you're welcome, buddy. That's kind of how I felt when that guy, uh, you know, backed into my car. I was like, you know what? I'm the kind of person who would treat you nicely and not bash your face in and want to give you grace. But, yeah, you're welcome. Um, so let's recap tonight's passage. Jesus heals a man who expresses very little desire to get better. This man has no faith in Jesus' ability to heal him or understanding of Jesus' identity as the Messiah. And he responds to Jesus' mercy by selling him out. Go in peace. <laughs> you know, I walk away from this story with that same kind of feeling in my stomach. Um, this little twist in there that just doesn't sit well with me. Um, my sense of fairness is not satisfied. Things just didn't end right. Um, you know, we, we don't know how this story ends, in all fairness. Um, maybe this guy got it together later down the line. Maybe he felt some gratitude for what Jesus had done for him. Um, maybe he considered, wow, who could do such a possible thing? Such a possible um, miraculous thing in my life, healing me. But when we just take the text, when we just look at the story, we can't really put an optimistic frame on this man's future that isn't there. It's just not present in this story. And so, yeah, we're going to scrap that conclusion. Move on to the next page. So why do you think John shares this passage with those he was writing to, primarily non-Jewish believers or seeking unbelievers? I'll say one reason why I think he shared this specific passage is because it's an amazing expression of mercy with even the most weak expression of need, Jesus did a completely miraculous thing in this guy's life. Um, Jesus clearly cared for this man and showed him mercy in meeting his temporal need. He healed him physically, and that's an amazing thing. Um, that's something to be celebrated. Um, God is a God who cares about even the ordinary things of everyday life. And in his wisdom, he can choose to do whatever he wants and oftentimes that results in miraculous things. Um, and those things are certainly to be thankful for and celebrated. Um, but this passage tonight is about a lot more than just physical healing. Uh, as we look at the conclusion of tonight's passage, those last few verses in Jesus' final conversation with this man, Jesus may have expressed it really bluntly, but pretty much what he was letting him know is, listen, I gave you mercy in healing you physically so that you'll understand that physical healing isn't your greatest need. What you need most is spiritual healing. That's a really powerful truth. You know, when I am trying to figure out how to apply passages to my life, 
how to interpret them well and apply them to my life, a question I like to ask myself is, which, which character in this story am I? Um, maybe that's something you do. Let me give you a tip. Anytime I answer that question with Jesus, and my understanding of the passage is not all about the gospel, what God has done for me in Christ, then my perspective on the passage is way, way, way off. Uh, if you write one note down, write that one down. Uh, so if I interpret this passage correctly, and this story, I'm that guy. I'm this paralytic guy. I'm this bro who gets a life-changing healing, who doesn't even care and turns around and sells Jesus out. Um, apart from Christ, I'm this man with little ability to express my need and no idea how to get there other than what I think is best for me. There are so many times in my life where I look at the best things that happen to me and I'm like, wow, I'm really God, glad God screwed up my plans because I thought I was supposed to do something else and this totally wouldn't have happened. Um, so I would be stuck just like this guy, thinking I knew exactly what I needed. I just needed God to come behind me and give me a little bit of a divine push. You know, just get me the water and I know what to do from there. Um, Jesus shows miraculous healing to this guy who doesn't even deserve it. And if I, was, if I was him, I would be in the same spot, just sitting there on the ground, stuck in my sin, thinking I'm the God of my life, knowing what I need and knowing how I'm going to get there by my own doing. Um, you know, this man is given instructions by Jesus at the end of their last conversation. Go and sin no more. What a demoralizing and impossible command. Um, you know what? If you don't know Christ, that is really discouraging. Um, but you know what? If you do know Christ, the good news is this. That what God requires of us, he also provides for us. He meets us right where we are. Stuck in our own sin, he works in our hearts, giving us faith to bring us to repentance. Um, that's what he was calling this man to. He was calling him to repentance of his sin. To ask that question, go and sin no more. How am I going to do that? To move him to repentance, to recognize his need for something more than what he had inside of himself. Which we see in scripture clearly, only Christ can satisfy. He builds our faith uh, and when we believe in Christ, his record is swapped for ours. God pulls out our file, and it reads, Sinner no more. And that is something to praise God for. Um, you know, kind of how Jesus says, or something worse may happen to you, the something worse Jesus mentioned isn't ours anymore. Um, as Scripture says so well, as Paul says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That's something worse. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that is something to be celebrated. Uh, a commentary I read in preparing for this said, This man does nothing to earn his cure. But God does not require such, particularly in the dispensing of his supreme gift of eternal life. Precisely this is the glory of his gift. It is for sinners, not for saints. It is for us all. Uh, so this passage is nice and it's comforting. Um, but it's a lot more than just nice and comforting. If we can just like walk out of here and sit on campus on a bench and think to ourselves, like, God's grace, that's just so nice. Um, put that on a Hallmark card and call this faith good. Uh, we, really, we really just are not getting it. Um, because honestly, to the original readers, this passage also would have been completely shocking. This is really good news for desperate people 
for people who would feel really out of place in a society that is based on religious and moral conformity. Uh, this is good news for people who, like, I get nervous talking to, for dangerous people, for bad guys. This is great news for them. Um, and honestly, all of us before Christ, just as we are, um, without his record on our behalf, we're the same as them. Um, sometimes when I share Christ with people, I need to remind myself, you know what? I don't have anything to offer these people apart from Christ. When you're a pastor, you have, you have people, uh, sometimes you have really, you get annoyed about having conversations when people think that, you know, being a pastor, you've got it all figured out or whatever. But a conversation I have a lot, people say, oh, what do you do all week? Like, don't pastors just work on Sundays? They'll be like, oh, yeah, like I get to meet with students a lot and coordinate our small groups. And, you know, sometimes there are a lot of details behind the scenes that need to be put together. They're like, man, like I would just love to like hang out with students and have conversations all day. And it's like, oftentimes these are conversations I have with people who aren't believers. And it's like, you know, like that is cool. But like the only reason I'm having conversations with them and I have any ability to offer anything is because I recognize that if it's just about me giving me giving advice, I have no good advice. Apart from Christ, I've got nothing for you guys. Um, you'd be screwed if you only listened to my good advice. But I have good news for you. There's a living God who died on the cross and can make you a new person. And that's pretty much the message that I want to share with you and that I would encourage you to share with other people. Because apart from Christ, we're right there with them. I don't have anything to offer in and of myself. Um, and so this is great news for bad people. Uh, people who seem, seem completely stuck and lost and are just not getting it or brought to the inside. Um, Imagine how non-believers John wrote for would have felt reading these stories of totally unmerited grace from God. Um, there's hope for them. And, uh, you know, maybe you're someone tonight who would say, I, I can't say that I'm 100% on board uh, with this Christianity thing. I've got questions. And you know what? That's great. We're so glad you're here, and I hope that you keep coming back and finding out more. And I hope that this will be a place where you never feel pressured to make a decision, you feel like an outsider unless you're willing to toe the dotted line when we think you should. Um, you know what? Take your time with that and allow God to work that process out in your heart. Um, I trust that he'll be faithful in doing that. Um, but if you are someone who's kind of at this point where you're like, you know what? Like, I've got these questions in my mind where I've sorted them out to the extent academically or intellectually that I feel like I'm capable of, but something just needs to click. Um, you know what? I would encourage you Sometimes in the quiet of your heart, take a moment and just come before God and express your need very slightly. Just express your need. Um, that God will meet you right where you are and give you more faith. Um, that he will move in your heart to bring you to repentance um, and to understand your need for him and the riches of who he can make you a new person in Christ. Um, and secondly, I want to say... This passage is also awe-inspiring. Um, imagine how empowered early non-Jewish believers, these people who felt like religious outsiders for their whole life, imagine how empowered they would have felt reading this story of Jesus' grace. Um, if you are rooted firmly in Christ as they were, you can be like Christ in this story because of what he's done for you and the Spirit of God inside you. Because of the gospel, you can be like Jesus in this story. God can work through you to give glimpses of his kingdom here. Uh, he blessed you to be a blessing and brings you into community of people 
that is His light to the world. He moves in this community of which you are a vital part uh, to reveal His kingdom here on earth, uh, to make all things new. And we get to enter into that mission. And it's an amazing thing. It's an exciting thing. God can work through you to give those glimpses of His kingdom here on earth. And here's an amazing thing. You can give grace to others without needing anything in return. return. And it's really cool. Dan kind of talked on this this morning. Uh, To be able to give without needing anything in return. So many relationships in life are about me saying, I'll go my 50% if you go your 50%. You know what? I tried that in my marriage for a long time, and it was not much fun. It was something that people tell you in marriage counseling um, when you, before you get married, and that's something they told me, but I just didn't get it. Because it's like, okay, I'll love you as long as you do your part. You know what? There are going to be times when your spouse, um, when your friends, when your family, they don't do their part. And the way that you can show them the gospel the most is by giving them grace when they haven't met up there into the bargain. Um, That is an amazing expression of grace. And in many circumstances, I honestly believe it's not going to be possible in your life if the Spirit of God isn't working in you and through you. That's not something where you can just walk out of here and will your way to it. Um, And I would encourage you to pray that God would just be present with you through His Spirit, equipping you in a special way to meet people with grace who need to see a glimpse of who God is. Um, Maybe this is your roommate. Maybe this is one of your friends. Maybe it's the student in your cafeteria who you see really often. Uh, Maybe it's the person who you can smell their weed smoke coming through the door because they live in the apartment next to you and it just makes you feel sick. Um, There are so many people that you can meet with grace because you've been met with grace yourself. And uh, they may not deserve it, but that's okay. What better way to show them the gospel um, by coming to them and meeting them right where they are. So, in Christ... We're no longer slaves to fairness. We don't have to have everything um, in a place where it sits well with us to be able to care for others. We can care for those who might turn around and not even appreciate the grace that we've just given them. Um, We don't have to require other people to be lovable before we love them. Um, And you know what? That is a relief. You can spend your time and your energy and even your money caring for people who will never be able to give back to you, who will never be able to repay you. And you know what? That's going to bring you a lot of joy because you're going to be entering into the good works that God has created you for. Uh, Be on board in His mission. Um, Sharing His grace with others by loving them and meeting them with grace, even when they don't deserve it. And that, more than anything else, is going to open up doors for you to be able to say, this is why. Um, and to be able to show them that you're gracious because God's grace has met you and has made you new. And that's my prayer for you guys, that God's grace um, would shock you, that it would inspire you to awe, that you would be convicted to live in a way that's reflective of that, um, to love those who are unlovable, to give grace to those who don't really deserve it, and not just be okay with that, and do it out of obligation, but do it out of joy because you've been met with that same love yourself. Uh, And, you know, uh, let's just pray together about that right now. Father, we, we thank you.